0: convenient or conspiracy digital id be very afraid big mushrooms i know always on the start of the show it's big something well tonight it's big mushrooms really big mushrooms and a an amazing letter from a roman soldier yeah, you're not going to believe this one it is wow welcome to the jay sheldon show happy halloween i this is the best i can do for a scary face so <laughs> there you go that's my my halloween costume <laughs> we got lots to get to tonight and we will get to it i promise uh, right now we're going to get to the way we always open up our show and that's with an update on our favorite furry friend <laughs> Miko update. Yeah, the Miko update. The little princess is doing well. As you found out on our last show, she started her cycle a few days ago. So she's back on the old, uh, wait, no, 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 don't show me. Oh, no, no, no. Let's not do that. Let's do this one. Can we take, the other camera. There we go. All right, there she is earlier today, hanging out in the yard. And yes, you will see there, she's wearing her very sexy panties. In fact, there's another angle here. There you go, button the face shot. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Miko is our little Shiba Inu. She's uh, all, she'll be three in uh, December first, and uh, we always give you an update on that. I mention that because we have a lot of new viewers and new listeners. And uh, in case you were wondering, what's a Miko? That's what a Miko is. Happy Halloween, Luna Amethyst! Welcome into the stream. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's Halloween Eve here in uh, Malaysia because it's uh, just after 10 o'clock at night. Uh, there in the US, it's sometime in the morning, of course, on, uh, on Monday. But it's still the 31st. So it's still All Hallows Eve. And by the way, Miko did not really have a Halloween costume. But if she did, this would be it. Yes, this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, look at that. I love that. No, that is not Miko. That's a public post by uh, somebody, Selena Tron. And uh, that is her two Shebas, And I assume her son or daughter. Uh, (laughs) That is absolutely adorable. Wow. So cute. We should do that next year with Miko. (laughs) A <laughs> nice job. All right. Look, a couple of things that I did not put in the show notes tonight, and uh, I, I'm not really going to talk a lot about them. One is, of course, the old Paul Pelosi, uh, Pelosi uh, the House Speaker Nancy's husband, who, uh, you know, there's so many details and they're changing. They're trying to make it into some MAGA or Republican crap, which obviously it is not They're still trying from mainstream media to, uh, you know, Biden and Pelosi and Hillary and all on down. It ain't working. Nobody's buying their crap, but that's what they're trying to do anyway. And uh, if you believe it, well, you're probably still wearing a mask while you're alone in your car. Um, The other thing that I wanted to at least uh, touch on was this absolutely horrific tragedy a couple of nights ago in Korea. Uh, in uh, Itaewon, Dan Seoul, uh, it is a tragedy. Uh, if you hadn't heard, I, I can't believe you hadn't heard by now. But there were uh, over hundred and fifty people killed in a crowd that uh, went nuts, and they—they, uh, they, you know, one of these crowd-crushing type things. Uh, the crowd crush takes place, and if you're in that crowd. It's a very, very dangerous place to be. And um, the, the, the one thing I found really odd was initial reports. I haven't seen an update in the last few hours, but initial reports say that a majority of the people who died passed away from cardiac arrests. Now, that's very, not completely, but very unusual if that number was that high. Because normally in one of these crowd crush situations, the people who lose their lives do that from asphyxiation, being, being, their chest being compressed so they can't breathe, not from heart attacks. But according to the initial reports I saw, a vast majority of this over 150 people uh, died of heart attacks. And that's odd to say the least. Now, one thing I did see just half an hour or two ago on my Twitter feed I'm actually reading it right off my phone on my Twitter feed because I thought this information was really critical and you ought to know it. I don't go out to these kind of concerts and crowds and street events and things, so I had no chance of me getting caught up in one of these things, but I know a lot of people do. If you are in a crowd crush, an informational thread from Love for Wandong, uh, Beluga Song, at uh, Twitter. Even if you think it'll never apply to you, take a moment, learn what to do in this situation. It could save your life or the lives of those around you. When you enter a venue, always make a note of the exits. It's like on a plane. You know, the reason they point out where the exits are is there's a purpose. So you'll know. You should do the same thing if you're in a venue. Once it gets too crowded, you might not be able to see where the closest exit is to you. Learn how to watch Crowd density. This is critical. This may be the most important step. Once crowd density reaches six people per square meter or more, it becomes very dangerous and you might not be able to get out anymore. Prevention is key. Understand where crowd crush happens. Most crowd crush deaths occur in a small space like alleyways, mosh pits, exit halls of venues, That's why it's best to leave early and not wait for things to get dangerous, since others may get the same idea and crush at the exit. Alert people. Since crowd crushes occur in loud environments, people outside the crush, where the crush is taking place, other people may have no idea that it's going on. If you're in an organized event and notice a crowd crush, get up high. Alert security, event organizers to stop the music and make everyone aware. Uh, Make space around your chest. If you're stuck in the crowd, feel like its density is increasing. You're getting smushed. Uh, Pin your arms to your sides or above your heads is not a good idea. Putting your arms out in front of you like this to open up space around you is one of the best ways to help to protect yourself. It's going to be very hard to fight that crush when it happens, but it will help. And uh, yeah, uh, some scary stuff here. Um, it, it, it prevents your chest from being compressed. Do not take off your backpack. If you're wearing a backpack, your first instinct might be to make more room. Uh, but it's a huge hazard. You drop your backpack on the floor, people trip over it, they wind up, causing like a domino effect where other people trip over them so leave your backpack on and go with the flow once the crowd reaches eight or nine people per square meter those inside cannot move freely anymore and the crowd starts to behave almost like a liquid you will feel yourself being moved in different directions it's important you don't fight it go with the flow And uh, there's a clip in this Twitter post about that. Do not scream and push. If you begin acting paranoid, hostile, inconsiderate of those around you, it's contagious. Other people will begin to do the same and that will grow and things will get worse. Pushing one person can lead to a horrible chain reaction. Again, stay calm, go with the flow, move with the crowd is the safest choice. And do not fall. That's Pretty intuitive, goes without saying, but its importance must be emphasized. Your top priority, once the crowd crush starts, is staying upright. Once you fall down, people will fall on top of you, or they will climb over you, and you will not be able to get back up. Avoid walls, so you don't get crushed against it. Help your neighbors only if you can, and... uh, Aftermath, when the crowd thins, there may be people on the floor. Since these things usually usually result from the lack of event planning, there may not be enough medical personnel to help right away. In this case, volunteers really do save lives. So do all you can. It's a great thread on Twitter if you want to look it up. And uh, I just wanted to share that with you because that tragedy that happened in in Seoul, uh, South Korea, was just unbelievably sad. All right. Uh, What do we got? Oh, I know what we got. We got our main topic tonight. Our main topic. Now, look, this article is from <laughs> is from Politico. And trust me, if you want, just trust me. Politico really needs to be taken with an enormous grain of salt. Not just a grain of salt. A huge packet, a five-kilo bag. The EU has introduced, here we go. A new digital ID. And here's what it means for you. They want to develop an app that would contain the digital ID uh, version of your ID card, your identity card. The European Commission Thursday unveiled plans to introduce a block-wide digital ID. If approved, the plan would allow people to use an app to prove their identity Online, whether it's to verify your age, check your driver's license, it is the first step towards a living nightmare. Fight this. Fight against it. Say no. Call up your representatives, your ministers, whoever it is that runs and represents you, and tell them no. Absolute, not just no, absolutely freaking lutely no. You're going to wind up with some carbon rating if you buy too much meat that week you're not going to be allowed to buy it's just no that's not what the plan is right now but this is the first step they start with this the EU plans to start testing the app which is called a wallet this month and they hope to have the basis and agreement across member countries this is a nightmare this is the kind of dystopian crap that you really do not want. Read this article. Again, it's Politico, but uh, it covers some of the details about this. Their angle is, oh, isn't this wonderful? Won't this... And that's how they're selling it to you. That's how they're going to get you to buy into this crap. Oh, it's convenient. Yeah, we're, 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 we're tracking you. We're watching everything you do. But it'll be so convenient. Yeah. Until you go to maybe fill up your car and you're... Wallet doesn't work because you've emitted too much carbon that week. Here's another article from Reclaim the Net, which is exactly the opposite of the last site we visited. MasterCard just outlined its digital ID push, where payments meet digital ID. If you're tired of censorship, cancel culture, and the erosion of civil liberties... Subscribe to Reclaim the Net. There's an ad for them. (laughs) At the Authenticate 2022 event, MasterCard, Senior Vice President of Digital Identity, Sarah Clark, detailed the company's digital ID plans. MasterCard's plans for a digital ID network, a use of FIDO in the reusable digital ID network. It's aimed at individuals who already have a government-issued ID, MasterCard plans to create a network through which digital IDs can be reused online for in-person interactions through calls and other channels. Payment company MasterCard wants to be a digital ID provider. Hmm, wonder why. The system called ID, oh, there's an inventive name, does not require a password. It requires biometrics. You use your own digital ID, you make it centralized, store it on your smartphone, and only show it to parties who have requested it, like, say, the police. The system also uses standards provided by FIDO Allowance, an organization focusing on providing authentication measures that don't rely on passwords, fingerprints, retina scans. This is a nightmare. They will be able to limit what you spend money on, where you spend it, how you spend it. This money doesn't actually exist. It's not cash. So they can take it away from you. They can lock you out of it. Remember the PayPal story, which has now, by the way, come back and they've re-added that terms of service for the 2,500 bucks back in now that the, the heat's blown over. I put a link, the third link down in our show notes, Because when I went to search for more on this story, (laughs) take a look at what happens when some of these ridiculous, trying to control what you see on the internet, like Bing and Google. This link actually takes you to a search for digital ID and take a look at the links that come up and the headlines. Digital identity verification can lead to a more equitable future. From Forbes. Massive pandemic relief fraud has Congress eyeing digital IDs. Want to protect your identity and control your data? Here's how digital ID wallets make that possible. It's so good for you. Every single one of these links in this Bing search. Japan pushes for digital personal network identification cards despite the pushback. All of these links trying to convince you what a benefit digital IDs would be. Please trust me. Please fight with every tooth and nail of your being not to make this happen. They're going to push it. It's likely going to happen. And there may not be anything you can do to avoid it. But, man. All right, let's get on to something less heavy. Hmm. There's a new picture out, and it is so cool. You know, we're big fans of the James Webb Space Telescope on this show. All things space, SpaceX, you name it, we love space. And uh, this, <laughs> wow, take a look. The link's in our show notes if you want to read the article. Scientists have just taken an actual picture of a planet in another star system. That's an artist's rendition. Um, The planet, known as B. Pictoris C, is only about 63 light years from Earth in the Beta-Pictoris system. Using the additional brightness and dynamic mass data obtained from imaging it, they're aiming to narrow down how it arose. They discovered the planet's existence by observing the impact it had on the orbit of its parent star. Because of how closely it orbits its star, it is impossible to picture the planet alone. They utilized a technique, some high-flutin' science thing called radical velocity method, whatever, uh, which has been used for years to discover hundreds of exoplanets, but never used to directly evaluate exoplanets. The team was able to pinpoint the position with incredible clarity and data from the four telescopes. They were also able to take a photograph of it. This is the first time an exoplanet could be verified using the RVA and direct imaging. Take a look at that. Again, a little hard to see. Check out the article if you want to read it. I'll get all the details. But that right there is the actual photograph. ...of the ectoplanet... ...which is B Pictoris C. That is insane. A little far away... ...but I'm sure they can zoom in a bit on it. That's unbelievable. Wow. Some very cool information in here... ...about this new uh, photograph that was taken. Uh, it has a 28-year orbital period. So the next time it comes around... ...might take a little while. <laughs> but it's very cool. And an actual picture of an actual planet... The photograph, not put together from radio data, information, and all that other crap. It's an actual photograph of the planet. That is absolutely phenomenal. All right, what else we got going on here tonight? I got so many links and so much stuff to talk about here. Oh, don't forget, too, we'll get to Bambi coming up at the end of our show. Um, oh, (laughs) yeah, I mentioned big mushrooms. We have the strangest thing here in the area that I live in. It's a small gated community. And, um, and it's not like, you know, the Pelosi place, but a long way from that. But it's so, so strange in the center. The whole thing is set up like a big spider web, really with the center park. And in the center park, which is where Miko usually takes her walk morning and nights, there are these mushrooms that pop up after a rainstorm, like, just like that. I mean, they won't be there, and you go back an hour later, and boom, full-on mushroom field growing on the side of the road. This is so strange. And the strangest, weirdest-looking mushrooms, too. And big ones, but not as big as this one. Take a look at that. <laughs> this is from Zambia. One mushroom can feed a family... For days look at the size of that thing. It is called the Termitomyces titanicus. I can see why titan is in the title. It's found in West Africa and it is the largest edible fungus in the world. Look at the size. Again, podcast listeners, sorry it's a visual, but there's a link in our show notes you can check out the picture. It's unbelievable. It's, well, it's four or five times the size of this guy's head who's holding it. It's, it's like an umbrella. It's the size of a legit umbrella for this guy. That is incredible. That's nuts. <laughs> the world's largest fungus. There's a fungus among us. Here we go. We got one more, two, two. Do you know uh, Ruth Gordon? Ruth Gordon who would have been uh, celebrating a birthday today. Uh, Ruth Gordon was an actress, and she was one of my all-time favorite. Uh, She sadly did not get the kind of recognition she was due, because she was an incredible actress who could pull off and did pull off so many amazing roles. On my list of top ten films is the film Harold and Maude. If you have never seen Harold and Maude you owe it to yourself to check out this film it stars ruth gordon in one of her most amazing roles ever this film is so absolutely incredible it's macabre it's funny it's sad it's one of those it's one of the reasons i love films like this it's a it's a joyride it takes you up and down and brings you down and uh, it's just one of those films that plays with your emotions. It's called Harold and Maude. And uh, Ruth Gordon was, uh, would have been celebrating a birthday today. She's quoted as saying, don't ask for permission so much. You're supposed to be alive, live, contribute. I can so hear her saying this if you know Ruth. Do it fully. Do it happily. No one's going to wave you in and lead you on your way. Take it. Do everything very well and happily. Shaw told us to wear ourselves out, and I would add we should do it happily, with banners, with music. We're all pretty fantastic, and we need to get on with it. Ruth Gordon, in an interview in 1984 with James Grissom. She was an absolutely incredible lady, and again, as I said, if you have not seen, or even if you have seen it, watch it again. I'm going to. If you've never seen Harold and Maude, you owe it to yourself to hunt down a copy and check out Harold and Maude. All right, one more story, then we're going to get on to Bambi. And this one, oh man, this is the coolest thing since sliced bread. Seriously. Uh, Again, I will read this. It's an audio thing. There is a visual. It's a copy of the actual letter. Take a look at this piece of papyrus. It is a letter of Apion a young soldier in the Roman army to his father, Ephraim Machos, in Egypt. This letter was found perfectly, nearly perfectly preserved, and a real letter from a Roman soldier written in the 2nd century A.D. by a little boy named Apion from a small Egyptian town. He enlisted in the Roman army in Alexandria, boarded a large government ship, and sailed for Italy. The ship weathered a terrible storm, and as soon as he landed, he got his new uniform, paid for it, and he went to be painted in a picture for his family and send it home, along with this actual letter. And here's what he wrote. Apion to his father and lord Epimachos, happy birthday. First of all, this is him writing the actual words. Translated, of course. I hope you are well and that things are going well for you, my sister, her daughter, and my brother. I thank Lord Serapis, an Egyptian god, uh, for saving me right away when I was in danger at sea. When I arrived in Miseno, the Roman port of war near Naples, I received three gold coins from the emperor, Trajan, uh, as money for the journey, and I am fine. Please write me a line, my Lord Father, on your well-being, second on that of my brother and sister, and third, so that I may piously greet your hand, for you have brought me up well, and I can therefore hope for a quick promotion. The gods willing. Give my regards to Capiton, a friend, and my brother and my sister, and Serenilia, a family slave. And my friends, I'm sending you my little portrait Via my new Roman name is Antonius Maximus. All the best. Wow. The letter was written in Greek on papyrus and not written by the boy himself but by a hired public letter writer. Those existed back in those days. Uh, Two of Apian's friends who enlisted with him added their greetings in the left margin of the letter over here on the side. And um, the letter was originally folded and sealed. He passed through the highly efficient Roman military post, arrived safe and sound as far as the small village in Egypt where the boy's father and family read it almost 2,000 years ago. After the death of his father, the letter was lost in the household waste. Archaeologists found it not long ago under the collapsed walls of the house. This is incredible. With another letter, written by Apian, years later later to his sister. If you allow, I would like to make some considerations. I admit I was moved to note this boy's pride in joining the Roman army. I find admirable the affection and gratitude for what his father had done for him which is now rare generous the per diem for the transfer of 3 orai corresponding to 300 sesterces a that's to say about a year's wages surprised that in addition to the letter he sent a portrait i think in uniform very modern the cursus publicus is amazed that's the public letter writer enough to deliver the letter in a small egyptian village and today we talk a lot about inclusion Uh, We could certainly learn from our ancestors. The time that uh, the provincials were Peregrini, that is, not Roman citizens. What an amazing, amazing story. That is, that's incredible. And the letter exists. That's the actual, a photograph of the actual letter. Mm. Sorry, coffee break time. I hope you found that as cool as I did, because that's absolutely amazing. Incredible! All right, you ready for a little book? Uh, if you didn't know, you're gonna know now. We read books on this show in the second half of the show. We've been doing that for a very, very long time now on the uh, Jay Sheldon Show, and uh, we have done The Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, Winnie the Pooh—you uh, name it. We've done so many great classics books. We read them a chapter or half a chapter at a time and so we get all the way through. And then we start a new one. And right now, we've been doing Bambi, the original, which was written in German by Felix Dalton. And uh, the story actually follows the Disney animated film pretty closely. So without further ado, we will pop over to Bambi. And if you'll recall in our last stream, winter was very quickly settling in. Bambi now understood that a period of need and poverty had begun. He saw how much the rain and the storms had changed the world. There were now no leaves on any of the trees or bushes. They stood there robbed of all they had. Their whole body was naked and could be clearly seen. They looked pitiful as they stretched their naked brown arms up to the sky. The grass on the meadow was limp and dark brown and so short it seems to have been burnt to the ground. Even the place where Bambi and his mother slept seemed pitiful and bare now, since its green walls had disappeared. it offered no privacy, and the wind blew in from every side. One day, a young magpie flew over the meadow, something white and cold fell into her eye, and then another and another and it laid a light veil over her sight. Little soft, dazzling white flakes were dancing all around her. The magpie flapped her wings and nearly stomped, but then directed herself upward and went higher in the sky, in vain. The soft, cool flakes were there again, and again they fell onto her and into her eyes. Once again, she directed herself upward and rose even higher, Just don't bother, love, called the crow from above her, who was flying in the same direction. Just give it up. You can't fly high enough to get out of these flakes. That's snow, isn't it? Snow, asked the magpie in amazement as she struggled against each new flurry that came after her. Well, yeah, the crow said, winter's here. That's snow, that is. Uh, Forgive me, answered the magpie I only left the nest in May. I I don't know what winter's like. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of that, the crow observed. You'll soon find out, though. Well, if that's what snow is, thought the magpie, I'd like to sit down for a little while. She went down and sat on a twig in an alder tree and shook herself. The crow flew lazily on. At first, Bambi was pleased to see the snow. The air was still and mild, the white stars floated in the sky, and everything in the world looked entirely new. It had become lighter, even gayer, thought Bambi, and for the brief periods when the sun did come out and everything lit up, the white covered, sparkled, and shone with such power that it was quite dazzling. Soon Bambi stopped being pleased about the snow as it was becoming harder and harder to find food. You had to scrape the snow aside, and that took a lot of effort before finding a small lump of limp grass. And the snow cut into your legs, too, so you had to be careful not to get your feet injured. Gobo had already done, but, of course, that's what Gobo is like. He is never able to endure very much, and he's caused his mother a lot of worry. They were together now for almost all of the time. They had also had more company than previously. Ina would often call by with her children. Marina, a girl who was nearly grown up, had also begun to mix in their circle. But it was probably old Mrs. Netla who came by for a chat most often. She was quite alone, had an opinion about everything. No, she said, I want to have nothing more to do with children. That's a pleasure that I've really had enough of. And then Feline would always say, Why's that then, when it's a pleasure? And Mrs. Netlow would pretend to be cross and say, It's a very bad sort of pleasure, and I've had enough of it. Everyone enjoyed chatting very much, and they sat next to each other and talked. The children had never had as much to listen to. Even one or two of the princes came and kept company with them now. At first, it felt a little awkward, especially as the children were all somewhat shy with them. But that passed quite quickly, and then there was a pleasant atmosphere. Bambi admired Prince Rono, who was an impressive gentleman, and he felt a tempestuous love for the young, beautiful chorus. They'd cast off their crowns, and Bambi would often stare at the two round slate-gray discs on their heads where glamour, splendor, and many tender points could be seen. Keras seemed very eloquent and distinguished. It was tremendously exciting when one of the princes would tell him about what had happened to him. On Rano's left foreleg, there was a big lump which was now overgrown with fur. He would often ask, "'Have you ever noticed how I limp on this leg?' Everyone was prompt to assure him no one had ever noticed a limp at all. That was what Rono wanted to hear, and it really was true to say it was barely noticeable. Yes, he would then continue, I escaped from something very dangerous that day. And so Rono would go on to recount how he'd been taken by surprise by him and hurtled fire at him. But he was only hit there on his leg. It hurt so much it could drive you mad. But it was only there on his leg that he'd been hit. It hurt nearly enough to drive him crazy. No wonder. The bone had been shattered. But Rano didn't panic. He got up and went on just three legs. He kept going despite the pain. As he was well aware, he was being chased. He ran and ran until night fell then he allowed himself some rest. but The following morning, he moved on again until he felt he was in safety. Then he groomed himself, hidden and alone, and waited for the wound to close up. Eventually, he came out of his place of safety, and he was a hero. He had a limp, but that was barely noticeable. Now, When they were all together in one place so often and for so long, when so many stories were told, Bambi heard more about him than he had ever had before. They talked about how horrible it was to look at. Nobody could bear looking into this pale face. There was something that Bambi already knew from his own experience— They even talked about the smell of him that spread all around, and here, too, Bambi would have been able to contribute to the discussion if he hadn't been too well brought up to join in with conversations of grown-ups. They said the scent was a rather puzzling sort, always changing but instantly recognizable as it was always remarkably stimulating, unidentifiable, mysterious, but in itself rather disgusting. They talked about him only needing two legs to walk on, and about the wonderful strength of both of his hands. Some of them didn't know exactly what hands are, but Mrs. Netla explained it to them. I don't see anything surprising about it. Squirrel can do everything you've just mentioned, and does it in just the way he wants to, and every little mouse can do the same. She turned her head disrespectfully away from them. Oh, the others exclaimed, and they made her understand that it's far from being the same thing. But Mrs. Netla was not to be intimidated. And what about the falcon? She declared. What about the buzzard, the owl? They've only got two legs, and when they want to take hold of something, as you call it, they just stand on one leg and hold it with the other one. That's a lot harder to do, and I'm sure he can't do it. Mrs. Netlow was not in any way inclined to admire anything about him. She hated him with all her heart. He's disgusting, she said, and nothing would change her mind. And there was nobody who contradicted her, as there was nobody who found him very lovable. But the matter became even more confusing as they talked about it, saying he had a third hand— not just two hands, but a third hand as well. Mrs. Netla's reply was curt. That's just an old wives' tale, she concluded. I just don't believe it. Now, Rono joined in. So what, he asked. And what do you think it was that he used to shatter my leg? Just tell me that, will you? Mrs. Netley gave a glib retort. That's your affair, my love. He's never shattered anything of mine. Auntie Ina said, I've seen lots of different things in my life, and I think there must be something in it if he insists he's got a third hand. Young Karis observed politely, I can only agree with you there. There's a crow who's a friend of mine. He stopped in embarrassment for a short while and looked at all the people there as if he were afraid of being laughed at. But when he saw, they were listening to him and giving him all their attention. He continued. The crow is exceptionally talented. I can't deny that. She's astonishingly talented. She told me he really does have three hands, but not all the time. It's that third hand, the crow told me, that's the nasty one. It doesn't grow out of him like the other two. He carries it, hanging on his shoulder." Crow says she can always tell whether he or any of his kind are dangerous or not. If he comes along without that third hand, then he isn't dangerous. Well, Mrs. Netla laughed. That crow of yours is just stupid, Karis. Take it from me, my love. If she was as clever as she thinks, she she'd know that he's always dangerous. Always. <coughs> Excuse me. "'But the others had something to say, too. "'But there are some of them who aren't dangerous at all.' "'Bambi's mother thought, "'You can see it straight away.' "'So what?' asked Mrs. Netler. "'Do you just stand there till they come up to you and say hello to them?' "'Bambi's mother answered softly, "'Of course I don't just stand there. I run away.' "'And Faline burst out with, "'You should always run away.' "'Everyone laughed.' They continued talking about this third hand. And as they did so, they became more serious. A sense of humor of it came among them. Whatever it was, a third hand or something different, it was something terrible, something they could not understand. And that's where we will leave it for tonight. We'll find out about this third hand coming up. In our next stream on Wednesday night. Cool. Zaidi Baka. Zaidi, dude. <laughs> Great to see you and thanks for the like. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for tonight. Thank you so much. Uh, be sure to follow, like, and subscribe. And uh, Alex Ye liked the stream. Thank you, Alex. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. I will uh, I will see you again on uh, on Wednesday night at 10 o'clock Malaysian time across the planet. Wherever your time zone is, you can find us. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and of course, our main channel, Rumble.com. And uh, also the podcast. Our podcast audio part of our show goes up about 15, 20 minutes after we're done with this live stream. And you can find that on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Radio Public, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, look for The Jay Sheldon Show, and hit follow or subscribe. We appreciate it. All right, that's it. We'll see you Wednesday. This is The Jay Sheldon Show. Good night.